Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and a true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it because it is not only the return of the Hoop Talk podcast after a two-week hiatus, it is also the return of the NBA Wheel of Fandom series. And of course, we had to bring one of our very special guests back on the podcast today and a huge Toronto Raptors fan at that. So please welcome from TV on Basketball TV. What's up, guys? It's been long overdue. I know we were supposed to do this a couple months ago, but things happen in life, but, it, but I'm glad to be back. And honestly, glad to talk about the Toronto Raptors. I have a lot of stuff to say about them. So glad to be back on the pod. So TV, it's been a while since we've had you on the podcast. What have you been up to? Um, in terms of like um, my content, I've been actually doing a lot more stuff on TikTok, which if you guys have not checked it out, me and Jalen every night have been doing the daily NBA picks challenge. That has been going pretty well. And it's pretty close to be completely honest. As in, like, there hasn't been a wash. Jalen had the lead early on. Now I kind of have the lead. It's been really fun, but I'm doing a lot more stuff on TikTok. I had a couple of like came with you guys a couple of weeks off on the pod, but I'm going to be returning next week. So be on the lookout for that. And you can honestly just check out a bunch of content coming out on Instagram and stuff like that. I'm doing a lot more stuff there, but I'm glad to revitalize the podcast coming out soon. But honestly, like loving the TikTok, love like sharing my thoughts on there. I think that's just a great way, especially doing something really quick. I know Jalen has like everything's going on and he's been enjoying it as well. So I just think that it's a good, I know it's like there's some taboo around it, especially because it's kind of like known as like a dance app, whatever, but <laughs> you can still put out great content there too. There's a lot of great stuff you can check out there. So let's get into your Toronto Raptors this season because they are 11 and 13, 12th in the West, uh, 12th in the Eastern Conference. Their last game, they defeated the Washington Wizards 102 to 90. Their coach is Nick Nurse in his fourth season with the team. Uh, 23rd in the NBA in points per game in, with a 104.8. In terms of opponents' points per game, actually top 10 in the league, um, standing at number nine with 105.1 opponents' points per uh, opponents points per game. In terms of pace, 29th out of 30th uh, in the league in the league with that stat. Um, offensive rating, 14th in the league with 109.6. Defensive rating, uh, 21st out of 30th with 109.9. TV, how would you grade the season so far for the Toronto Raptors? I'm not going to be too high. I'm not going to be too low. I'm going to be going for a solid B to B plus. I think going into the season, there were, I don't know, if you talk about the Toronto Raptors fans, you had some realists, but you also had some guys from the hangover of the championship season. Some people had super high expectations. Some guys had to say, like like myself, I'd be like, okay, guys, calm down. Like, like Ryan said, our guy, like our team is a bunch of young guys. Most of them five years of experience or less. Our guy, even like the guy who has strategic experience in Gordon Drogic is away for personal reasons. So he's not even like a part of the rotation, part of the team right now. So I think in a rebuilding year where we want to give people opportunities, we're trying to see what we got and what pieces we want moving forward, trying to see what kind of works with this new style of team because we're completely gone from that old era with the Kyle Lowry's and the Mars, the, the Kawhi's. We're into a whole new era with the Toronto Raptors. And in terms of rebuilding year, the fact that we are, I think, like what three or four games um, back from like the third, the fourth seed right now, it's it's not bad. And I think like again, Raptor fans had two, a lot of high expectations going into this year. I was a bit more leveled on it. And in terms of like seeing what we got from a lot of our players, the way that we could see Fred Van Vliet develop, OG before his injury, the way that Scotty has absolutely taken the league by storm right now, 
I'm pretty happy with it. Like I said, not too high, not too low. I think a B is a pretty solid rating. Jalen, how do you how do you feel about this? Because Toronto definitely has a lot of interesting players that we're going to get into later. What's your feeling on the Toronto Raptors so far? Yeah, I gotta agree with T on this one. I mean, honestly, when you talk about the the team's makeup overall, not even just the youth, but overall the amount of playing time these guys have had as a group within this year. If you look at it, OGs missed time. Pascal missed the beginning of the year due to injury. Um, Goran obviously hasn't played, and that one was going to be tricky coming into this season regardless because a lot of the talk was around him ending up on the Mavericks before he even dribbled the ball once for Toronto. You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where that was already tricky. But like TV was saying beforehand too, guys like Precious Achua, guys like Scotty Barnes, guys like Gary Trent Jr., all despite, despite the fact that we'll probably talk about the contract in a little bit. Contract might have been a little uh, uh, more uh, player-friendly, but he's been doing his due diligence to at least try to live up to that the best that he can. So some of their younger players have been playing really well. I like Delano Benton a lot more than I thought I was going to out of Nebraska too. So I think a B is fair. Like if you talk about the range between how often these guys have played as a full unit together, um, mixed with the the young group that they already have, mixed that with the fact that their uh, expectations trajectory-wise are, I think TV can agree with this one, like drastically different than like even a, a season and a half ago. You know what I mean? So like with that being the case, for them to only be two games under 500, you got to give them props. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I definitely agree with, I, I mean, like, like Jalen said, I mean, like literally like we were like two and a, like one and a half year ago. I know it's been super weird with the calendar year, but we were in a game seven versus the Boston Celtics and like, like in the, in the Eastern Conference semifinals. I mean, it's not far off of that, but it's a new era. I think it's just time to embrace kind of the rebuild. And I think um, so far this year, I think at least we're, we're doing our part. We're doing our part for sure. So looking at the off season, actually, um, Actually, before we talk about the offseason, I'm actually going to agree with you guys in giving this team a B. A lot of young players really standing out for this team. They're definitely making the most of their opportunities. And I think it's all about what you do going forward. Of course, we talk about the injury bug with guys like OG being out, Pascal missing time as well. But the young players have really stepped up and they're almost exceeding some expectations. I know they're only two games below 500, but this could easily be a sneaky team that ends up in the playing tournament. But now moving on uh, to the offseason um, from this team, because a lot of moves were made in the offseason. Uh, the big one was trading away Kyle Lowry to the Miami Heat in a package that included uh, Goran Dragic and Precious Achua. So, TV, I, I kind of want to start with you because, you know, this was huge news uh, in the offseason. We actually thought this was going to happen in the middle of last season, ends up happening in the offseason. Um how do you feel about Kyle Lowry's move to Miami? Because we, we knew it was going to happen, but how do you feel about the assets in return for Kyle Lowry? Well, speaking, honestly, even like just tracking back to last season, I know like Ryan mentioned about him basically having that whole trade saga before the trade deadline. The fact that he did the peace sign to Toronto fans at the end of that, that Nuggets game, I was like, he's gone. We all, I think all Raptor fans accept the fact that he was going to be gone by then. That entire day, honestly, was like I was like just pacing back and forth, just waiting for Shams or Woj to report the news. And then when three o'clock hit and they said there was no deal done, I was more confusion than anything. But the fact that he went to free agency as a free agent and he was like, look, I'm still going to I still got you guys. Like, I'll tell you what team I want to go to. 
get at least something back for me. Anything, anything was going to do. Anything was going to do. I don't know what type of trade packages they were getting at the trade deadline. Possibly something better than that. But at the time, offseason, when he could have walked away for nothing, the fact that we got a young piece in Precious Chua who has started the majority of the games for us. And, you know, Goron's Goron. He's probably going to be like a trade asset going forward. I think that was a good move. I think I still think that was a good move. Just, just getting something back, a young piece that could potentially be something pretty big. And it kind of kickstarted the rebuild. At least um, we knew like what, what we were going forward. And we started voting around that. And Kyle, like at least gave us that opportunity. I mean, unfortunately for the heat, I mean, he, they, they had to deal with like what the, the second round fine or something like that, where they were t- fine for tampering that stupid fine. I mean, it was not even worth it, but you know, at least we got something back. I think that's all I have to say. We're going to talk about some trade packages a little bit later uh, with Goran Dragic, but also with uh, Pascal Siakam as well. But definitely interesting in what uh, Toronto got in return because Precious Achua was not a player that got a lot of minutes with the Miami Heat last year. Uh, He was drafted, I believe, 20th overall in the 2020 draft, and he was definitely a great great player coming out of college. Really wasn't utilized all um, a lot, but definitely getting his time to shine in Toronto. Jalen, how do you feel in return uh, um, in the uh, return from uh, the Kyle Lowry trade? Because, of course, we mentioned Precious Achua, Goran Dragic. He may not be there for long in Toronto, but um, he's definitely a nice veteran presence to have. I think the biggest thing that I looked at when I saw the trade itself is it goes back to what TV said about the idea of at least getting something back for Kyle. The fact that he wasn't traded at the trade deadline almost seemed like it was a shoe in that he could have just walked away. So it kind of props to him for putting them in a position to still be able to uh, acquire uh, anything through a sign and trade that wasn't required with the way Miami's salary cap was set up. They could have kind of just finagled it. We've seen Miami work out of worse cap strap situations, right? In order to sign a player they really want. So what I'm saying is Miami could have acquired him without that hoop to jump through. So the ability to get somebody was huge. I think the main thing is, especially if you know that Goran's not going to really play for this team, getting Precious Achua is solid. Like small ball five in certain situations. I mean, mainly with this team, he's a, he's a go-to center option with how small this team is. We're going to talk about their, uh, their lineups a little bit later on, just because their, their defensive style, their overall play style is very unique compared to the rest of the league. And Precious Achua is part of whatever, uh, small ball philosophy uh, Nick Nurse in Toronto was going after. So, I mean, if anything, getting a guy who's young and presses at you, who also fits the mold of whatever, like, style they're trying to adapt, I mean, that, I mean, that's the best, I mean, that's the best you can get when you talk about a guy that you technically, uh, you technically could have lost for nothing. And I think that it's interesting to point out that, um, you know, when Kyle Lowry, uh, essentially just said peace out to Toronto at that time. I think we had TV on for an episode that week and we were confused what was going on because we were under the assumption for sure. Kyle Lowry was getting traded at that time. He ends up getting traded, uh, traded in the offseason to Miami, but definitely a smart move for Toronto. I think it was a win-win for both teams. Toronto definitely got a, ni- a nice package of players. Miami found their starting point guard. It was definitely a win-win for both teams. But let's kind of talk about the draft because at the time, there was the controversial choice of Toronto going up at number four and selecting Sky Barnes over Jalen Suggs. Now, this it was controversial at the time, 
But I think a lot of Toronto fans are really starting to embrace Scotty Barnes as a player. So, um, TV, I kind of wanted to get your perspective as a Toronto fan on what type of on, on what type of impact Scotty Barnes has made this season for the Toronto Raptors. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, dating back to the draft, everyone like when the Raptors even back to the draft lottery when we got the number four pick. Uh, many people just assumed that because it was a four-person draft, you had the Mobley, the Suggs, the Cade Cunningham, and you had Jalen Green. One of those four guys are going to fall to Toronto. Whoever it was, we're going to have to wait and see. So when the draft came around, it was like, okay, it feels like Suggs is the number one guy here. But even the week or two leading up to the draft, you heard some buzz from Scotty Barnes. You heard that he was like, like he really impressed in the workout that the Raptors are enamored with him. And even like I was doing some podcasts before that, and I was like, Look, Suggs should be the pick, but knowing Masai, knowing the organization and the risk that these guys are willing to take, I would not be surprised with Scotty Barnes. Even like my friends here in Toronto, they're like, yo, we're going to get Suggs. This is going to be our new point guard. He's going to be the guy to kind of, as, a, as kind of the predecessor to Kyle Lowry. But I was looking at Scotty Barnes. And I'm like, this guy just feels like a Masai guy. You know what I mean? Just like, he just feels like a Masai guy. Someone who's very versatile. He fits the Nick Nurse of a system where he plays like positionless basketball. He can handle the ball. We talked about like his rebounding before the season, like before the episode even started. He could score now. I mean, he's one of the most like efficient mid-range shooters in the league right now, which is crazy for a rookie. And like the fact that he has done this in such a more a, a small amount of time, the Raptors fans just embrace them, and mostly because of the fact that he wants to be here. And I think like that's a, it's a, such a breath of fresh air for Toronto Raptor fans. We got that with DeMar DeRozan, but if, even if we look at like players past, Chris Bosh wasn't really like that. Vince Carter embraced it for a bit, but he had a rough exit out. Just someone who wanted to be here, who wanted to like be a part of the grind. And so, and the fact that Nick Nurse believes in this guy, he wants him shooting threes. He wants him doing all this. Us as a fan base, us in the Raptors organization is all in on him. And he has our full support. And the fact that he's showing that he's like, what, a, a top one to two rookie this year so far is making it a lot better. I mean, Jalen Suggs kind of struggling this year, but it's tough in our, that rotation in Orlando. But Scotty, man, this guy is like, is, this guy's a special player. He's shown great things so far. And I can't wait to see this guy grow with our team. He was a great player in high school, too. And I wasn't as high on him uh, when he was at Florida State. Definitely had a lot of issues in terms of uh, shooting the ball, especially from the three-point line. Didn't he come off the well, bench too? Didn't he come mm-hmm. off the bench? Yeah, he came off the bench, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I wasn't as as high on him at first, and I don't think his NCAA tournament performances really helped his case. But I guess it really didn't matter because he ended up getting selected at number four with the Raptors. Still a versatile player. He can defend multiple positions on the floor. Great rebounder. And um, we're going to talk about that later because Toronto is actually one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the league. But TV, I kind of want you to take Masai out of the equation. If you were the GM of the Raptors, would you have selected Scotty Barnes or Jalen Suggs? At, at the time of the draft? At the time of the draft? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you, you, as a fan you just love the idea of Scotty Barnes, like kind of as like this tall point four type of guy and stuff like that. But knowing what the Raptors, like the rebuild that we're going to have to go through the next few years, I personally would have gone Suggs. Obviously if it's right now, obviously like, Oh yeah, Scotty's awesome. I definitely would have gone Scotty, but at the time I'm going to be completely honest. I definitely would have gone, gone with Suggs, especially with Kyle Lowry leaving. It just feels like the automatic replacement. And especially because that front court in Toronto is super loaded with, you know, Pascal 
you still got OG Ananobi. Like, where would Scotty Barnes even fit in there? But yeah, I would. I still would have gone with Suggs. I'm like as a GM, but again, I can't be mad. Can't be mad. And that's understandable. I mean, with the way that Sky Barnes has been playing so far, definitely easy to say that Sky Barnes was the right choice for the Toronto Raptors, especially with the way that he fits on the floor. Also, considering he had to take over the the uh, power forward position because Pascal Siakam was out for uh, the start of the season. So he kind of was just thrown into that role and he really made the most of it. But uh, Jalen, I kind of want to transition to you on this one. How do you feel uh, Scotty Barnes has impacted the Toronto Raptors so far? I mean, the biggest thing is probably the two-way play of him, right? If it's the culture of what they want to do, if there's anything that Toronto wants to do well, it's play defensively. We see that in terms of their opponents' points per game, but just overall, they've always been like a swarming defensive kind of team um, for the longest. And, you know, length and small guys has kind of been their main way of playing. And again, it goes back to that philosophy. It first kind of started with the the Precious Achua acquisition of this idea of embracing it. Like if we're going to play small, let's listen. If we're going to play small and long, then let's, let's embrace the heck out of it. And Jalen Suggs doesn't really fit that mold if that's the kind of route that you want to go. Um, TV, it's funny that you said like, you said something that like really like, you know, like was reminiscent of something we've heard on this podcast before. So what you mentioned was that your friends in Toronto are kind of on this, uh, on, under this impression, or they were under this impression that Jalen Suggs would step in and be the predecessor to Kyle Lowry. But there's this inkling, at least especially from you, there was this inkling that it's like, no, nah, but Scotty Barnes is like a, a Toronto kind of guy, a Maasai kind of pick. And it's funny, uh, 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 one of our friends, Jay, from the Baller Island podcast said a similar thing after we did our, our post-NBA draft um, analysis. And I think that's so intriguing because it goes to, it goes to show you how this team, that, that championship year, just doesn't, it doesn't feel like a blimp in the system because of the fact that it seems like they always think outside the box. Like, think about it. Even that championship year, what was the conversation around, around acquiring Kawhi Leonard? Why would anybody trade such and such pieces for a one-year rental knowing he's gonna leave well they got him a chip right that's that's the idea of thinking against the curve and scotty barnes kind of is a, a secondary validation of this idea of going against the grain so i think the biggest thing is just like regardless of scotty's play so far if he fits the mold of the culture they're trying to establish i think that mattered more than anything the fact that he has ingratiated himself the way he has like tv said somebody that wants to be in Toronto, I think that matters more than any of his play on the court so far, really. Yeah, I mean, if, if I know you guys are like are not here in Toronto, but this guy is literally everywhere. Like <laughs> in, in terms of commercials, in terms of this and that, like he's embraced the city. And honestly, like it's it's great to see that someone who's invested in the team, who talks so highly of the team, his teammates talk highly about him, like literally every single practice and stuff like that. It's it makes you like have a lot of hope for the future as a Raptor fan. And I think it's safe to say you have a player that you can build your franchise around in Sky Barnes. And you have this young core of players that you know can help you get to the playoffs again. I mean, you talk about the championship players um, that were on that championship team with OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, with the way he performed in those 2019 finals. The list goes on and on. And then you add the young core of players that you have as well with Gary Trent Jr., Delano, uh, Delano Bannon, you know, of course, we mentioned Sky Barnes, Chris Boucher as well. This is a team that I think could be poised for some future success as well. But um, 
I want to kind of look at a specific point of Toronto's success so far, and that's offensive rebounding. And I, I mentioned briefly uh, with the Sky Barnes uh, question how how great the offensive rebounding has been, and he's kind of been at, at the focal point at that. So, TV, from your perspective, why do you feel or how do you feel Toronto has improved as an offensive rebounding team from last year to this year? Energy, athleticism. I mean, if you look at the center position last year, who do we have? Aaron Baines. We had Aaron Baines and we had Alex Lund to start the year. That's a drastic difference than what we have now, which is a Presh Sachua and Ken Birch. These two guys just fight for the boards, although they are a bit shorter. It's just the energy is there. And like we mentioned like constantly throughout this episode, the length is really helping here. I mean, we talk about – I talk about um, Precious and all that, but Scotty Barnes is – all over the place, whether it's defending, whether it's like on the offensive end, this guy is trying to get to the ball. And I mentioned this to like you guys before the podcast, he does this thing like Tyson Tanner did like for those old Dallas Maverick teams where he would just get in there. He wouldn't even like get the rebound per se. He would just tap it back out and that would get Raptors extra possessions. Those type of things, the energy that's there is a big reason why um, the Raptors are getting better at that. And that was one of the, the things that the Raptors fans have been kind of longing for, just like a better center. And I think we'll, maybe we'll talk about that later, that the Raptors still kind of need that center. But the fact that the energy is there is a lot of like a, 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 it's a great change from what happened last year. Because when I tell you that Aaron Baines was the most hated man in Toronto, I am not joking. This guy was like, even on the team, this guy was getting freaking verbally abused. This guy like was... I mean, there was no thank you. Let's be honest. There was no thank you, Aaron Baines, after he left. I mean, hopefully he's okay because I know he had like some like crazy injury scare before the season, but he did not do great for us. It's just a better like, it's just like a better personnel. Like we talked about the Raptors culture, it's there. Just the personnel is better, and that's why you know we're like near the top of the league in offensive rebounding. And uh, Sky Barnes is averaging close to three offensive rebounds a game. Precious Achua a little over two offensive rebounds a game. Ken Birch averaging. Uh, 3.2 offensive rebounds a game. So that's multiple players that are really helping contribute to the on average 13.3 offensive rebounds that Toronto gets per game. But uh, Jalen, who are some players that have, who are some other players that have really helped out with this offensive rebounding? Cause I know I mentioned, you know, Scotty Barnes, Precious Achua and Ken Birch. I mean, the squad as a whole, I think the biggest thing that they realize playing small is that gang rebounding is the way that they're going to create uh, multiple possessions for themselves. Um, winning on the glass and winning in transition are the two things that are going to help a small ball team. And this team doesn't get out and run. We talked about that a little bit earlier about their pace of play. Uh, me and TV were talking off camera. He was talking about like wanting them to play more up tempo. And I think they have the athletes for that. Um, so I think that's something that they should embrace. But although they play a lot slower, they create a lot of offensive opportunities for themselves just through gang rebounding alone. So, I mean, you can talk about individuals. I mean, right now, uh, you know, like you said beforehand, uh, Scotty averaging almost three offensive rebounds. Pascal with almost two offensive rebounds. Kim Birch with just over three. Precious with just over two. Like, as a group, They've got a couple of guys that like are really banging down low and really being active around the glass. But a lot of that just comes from the mentality of them as a five man unit attacking the glass and creating other opportunities for themselves. So I think as a group, that's just the mentality is a hey, we're going to create as many opportunities as we can while we're on this side of the floor. 
And I think the uh, gang rebounding that you mentioned earlier, Jalen, I think that's really what's been contributing to most of their offensive success, um, especially being able to attack the glass, um, try to get to the line as much as they can, create opportunities for others. This is really what's been helping them. And it's been one of their focal points when you talk about their success early on in the season. But um, I want to talk about some interesting trade packages because I know we are we're, we're a ways away from the trade deadline in the NBA TV. What's the ideal trade package for Pascal Siakam? What really just depends on like how long the Raptors want to want to like wait this out, because at the moment, if like, say if we go like by the trade deadline, what type of players could you get for a Pascal Siakam? Looking at it, the probably the best you can get is um, either Sabonis or Turner. I think that is like at the very moment, someone that who is probably like on the move, who is on the trade block. And I think that you could like maybe it wouldn't take that much. Maybe Siakam, you can maybe get a pick and return. Maybe you have to give a pick and return. We'll have to wait and see. But that's basically what the best it's going to get at the moment. Now, what I'm thinking is that wait this year, see how he does, how he fits into the system. If it's not what you want to see after this year or next year, then we could start maybe thinking of like other things. Like if we go to this off season, I really did. I mean, when you asked me this question, like when we were discussing like the breakdown, like when you sent me like the questions beforehand, I was like, who, like what type of like scenario, like would the Raptors like want for this? Because right now the biggest issue is that the center position. And I have two guys here. I want to hear your guys thoughts too. And like, kind of see like what you guys think of this. The first player I have in mind, a possible Carl Anthony Towns deal a possible Carl Anthony Towns deal, mostly because the Timberwolves, depending on how they do this year, they've been kind of, they haven't, they've made the playoffs once in the last 16 years. Cat, it maybe feels like he's like running his course with the team. Maybe they want to hand the keys to Anthony Edwards, who looks like he could be the number one scoring option for them going forward. I could see a situation. I'm, I don't want to say what, like Kawhi, where Carl Anthony Towns is going to be like, look, I'm frustrated being here for a while. Maybe it's just time for a change of scenery. Maybe they would want to pass Siakam, who's on a longer-term deal, who could, you know, maybe, like, do more in the perimeter defensive end. We know Anthony Edwards is not a great defender. He, um, Pascal Siakam can kind of help him with that. He can also handle the ball as well. I think that's another thing maybe interesting. I mean, obviously, it's kind of far-fetched. I'm not saying this is, like, realistic whatsoever, but that's just something that I could maybe possibly see happening as a best-case scenario. Someone else who is kind of interesting for me, DeAndre Aiden. And the only reason I think DeAndre Aiden is, look, they haven't got a deal done last offseason. They should have given the max. I really think that he is worth the max. But maybe there's something down there. Of course, with the Robert Sarver situation, we don't know what the heck is going on there. There could be some turmoil that we don't know about, although they are one of the best teams in the league. But they didn't sign him there. I don't know how you know invested they are to DeAndre Aiden. Siakam could be a better um, um, perimeter defender. This guy can also get his own bucket, unlike DeAndre Aiden. And I think DeAndre Aiden would be great in terms of like having the length, not having to score as much on this Toronto Raptor team. I don't know. Those are two guys I'm thinking. I don't know. I want to know what you guys think. <laughs> that's yeah. that's kind of the response to that one. Those are two hefty names. Like I, know, I would say, I okay, so so the way the, the way I want to respond to this because I want to leave. I don't want to leave it empty because I, I understand that you're throwing them out as more so fit, and I think fit wise it makes sense for both of them. Realistically, of the two, I think that just because of DeAndre Ayton's like contract situation, that he would maybe be the more realistic of the two. He would probably also fit more seamlessly because we've seen that he's been willing to do 
um the dirty work down low as an operator that kind of op- that works off of others so i think that would make um more sense in terms of the ability to acquire him i think the only trick is that the the, the only worry i have with both of these teams in particular is not only are these potential like cornerstone pieces for those two teams that we're talking about potentially being on the trade block but they're also two teams that are actually playing really solid at the moment and i'm not sure yeah, if they're the two pretty- teams that are going to want to do anything shake up wise like even with Minnesota, Minnesota has been pretty solid so far. And if like you check uh, Bleacher Reports, like uh, like team rankings as of late, like Minnesota, I think is like top thirteen, like in terms of their power rankings as of right now, just off of their production so far. Despite the fact that maybe they're not like as high up in the Western Conference standings. And then obviously you talk about DeAndre Ayton, like as part of the Suns. And if it weren't for Golden State, you know, I mean, um, the Suns were on one of the the craziest roles in you know nba history actually you know had the longest streak with 18 straight games so like that's the only thing that's tricky with that but i could see why both of those are guys that would translate well for what your team is looking for though nonetheless yeah so when you're when we're looking at both players contract situation i have to agree with jalen i think if if the suns for some reason don't sign Aiton to an extension then I, I can see the possibility of him going to uh, Toronto. I think it will be interesting with, with Carl Anthony Towns because of the success that the Timberwolves are having this year and the emergence of Anthony Edwards. Um, you know, you talk about other players finally getting, you know, D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns on the floor together, which is something that we didn't really see a lot of last year. Um, you know, I think it's it's really interesting because – I don't know if Minnesota would want to get rid of Carl Anthony Towns that quickly. I know it seems like they're kind of transitioning the the franchise keys to uh, Anthony Edwards, but Carl Anthony Towns has been there for a very long time. I mean, he's he's been a long tenured member of that organization. I feel like it's going to take a lot for Minnesota to want to get rid of him. I think with the situation with DeAndre Ayton and his contract situation. Um, that could make for an easier deal simply because it doesn't look like Phoenix is going to sign him to an extension at the moment. And first of all, that would be a mistake if they don't sign him to an extension. But if they don't sign him to an extension, that's a win-win for any team that gets him because of the way that he not only played in the finals, but also how he's been doing this entire season as Phoenix is one of the best teams, not only in the league, um, but at the Western Conference at 20 and four. Also, like, what was the point of them getting JaVale McGee if they were going to trade DeAndre Ayton? Because they they got JaVale McGee for the purpose of trying to provide some front court depth to uh to to or for DeAndre Ayton behind DeAndre Ayton. Because you know, the one thing that you look at watching the finals was um watching you know Giannis pretty much dominate the Suns front court for most of that series. So I think that's also interesting to take into consideration as well. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I want to like say out there, I know I said these two names, these are far out there. I'm not saying this is realistic in whatever sense. I'm more like, and I, and I do want to like bring this point up. I know there's a rapid podcast, but you guys talking about the success of the Timberwolves. I mean, define success. I mean, 11 and 13 there. I know like they, they look better. This year. I'm not going to deny that they look better, but how long are they going to like, settle for this like right now like right here right now they have three offensive guys not 
None of them really want to play a lick of defense. They, 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 at some point, I think like they're going to look at this situation and be like, Cass making a lot of money. He's his contract's going to start to wind down. Making maybe like make a deal for him like down the line. This is like, like, in, like the Siakam deal is like maybe projecting like one or two years down the line. Like this is why I'm like, I don't think we should trade him now. And in terms of the DeAndre Aiden situation, like I honestly believe it's like more realistic for the cat situation just because I can see the Timberwolves is messing this up just because it's the Timberwolves as well. Like they, they, they're more of a possibility to mess this up. And the Suns, you know, I think the, at least the Suns are smart enough to know that they should resign him. I think there's no way in hell that he's not on that team for the next four years after this. But I don't know. I think like with the Timberwolves, if, if it continues like this, like say if they do get better, say if they make the play-in tournament this year, make the playoffs next year, you know, there's no reason to trade Carl Anthony Towns. But I can easily see a situation where they're kind of like the Kings, they're kind of like the Pacers, where they're just settling for a couple of years and they have to make a change. So, you know, again, this is like projecting like a few years down the line, but I definitely see what you guys mean. But yeah, I just think that the Timberwolves' success is not 500. Success is, should, should not be 500 when you have two number one overall picks and you're on your team who look to be like future stars slash superstars. They got to... They have to make some significant improvements for me to believe that Carl Anthony Towns is going to stay. That's fair. I that's fair. I think that's I think it's hard to argue with my my logic to it would have been like if you talk about definitely improvement in accordance to like the past couple of seasons. I definitely think that that shows you know that shows that pays dividends. But I also would just say like roster construction wise from the way they've been playing so far this year, um, especially with the way they've been able to utilize Cat as a lead option next to guys like Anthony Edwards. If you go through the teams that they're above right now, I feel confident that they are deservably better than those teams. I think they're better than Portland right now. I think they're better than Sacramento. San, I think San Antonio is a toss-up because I don't think San Antonio is as bad as their record is, truthfully. I think that they are, they're a lot better than that, and it's just been a couple of bad breaks here and there and certain guys not playing um, to their potential on a regular basis. DeJounte Murray's been solid, though. Houston, I think is, you know, I think they're better than Houston. I think they're better than OKC and I think they're better than New Orleans. So it's like, realistically, this is the first time where I've looked at Minnesota and felt like their talent level actually is living up to them being within this uh, eight or nine area where they sit right now. And I mean, they're a game out of seven. So, I mean, realistically, this is the first time I've looked at this team and felt like they deserve to be where they were. In the past, they've been lower and it was kind of just felt like underwhelming. This is the first time where it feels like in some respects they're playing up to what their talent is has supposed to been this whole time, I guess. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, like it, it's cool for this year. I'm okay. Right, if right. on for this year, it's just the next year. If it's yeah. like this again, if it's the next year after that, if it's like this, that's when it starts getting a problem. But I, but I still I do agree with you in terms of this season. Yeah. Yeah. So let's kind of talk about the next player for uh, these trade packages because we mentioned – Goran Dragic was a player that could be thrown in in a deal. Um, Jalen mentioned before the pod started, um, he kind of felt that Goran Dragic was going to be traded before the season started, but he still ended up being a member of the Toronto Raptors and taking the floor um, for the Raptors this season. So if there is a likelihood that Toronto trades uh, Goran Dragic, TV, what is the uh, trade package that you would have centered around Goran Dragic. The thing about the Goran Dragic situation is that we, we talked about this a little bit in the, in before the podcast. I mean, I find a hard press if he ends up anywhere else but the Dallas Mavericks. The Dallas Mavericks just feel like 
the perfect situation for him. I know they have Jalen Brunson at the moment, but him and Luca are boys. They both play, you know, the Slovenian national team and all that. And I think that like another ball handler would definitely um, be great for them. The question is, and, and it says in the question, what are the Raptors going to get back? You have to make the contracts work, and you also have to get like like some sort of future piece because I don't think the Raptors are just going to be like, yo, let's trade. I don't know um, him for. I don't even know like what player under like under contract for the Mavericks they could even like really trade back or whatever. But like some older piece, it's not going to happen like that. So I don't know. I honestly like in terms of like like kind of like what they want back. Honestly, at best, I could think maybe a like a protected first round pick, maybe it's a second round pick. I'm not going to get like any significant um, young piece back, but honestly, just any sort of future asset, I would just be happy with. I could now think about it. Maybe Dallas, you can go there. I could even see him going to Utah Jazz. For some reason, I would like to see him as a backup point guard there for Connolly as well. I think he would be pretty good there. But and it's, honestly, just any sort of pick conversation, I would be really happy with. Jalen, I kind of want to bring you in this conversation as well because we talked to Lauren a couple months ago um, from the Dallas Mavericks uh, where we were doing um, the Dallas Ma- the Dallas Mavericks Wheel of Fandom series. It was interesting because not only did we talk about Goran going to Toronto, but our uh, our Goran to Goran going to Dallas, should I say? But in return, she mentioned the possibility that Josh Green could have been thrown in on a deal with Goran Dragic, and for some reason, a lot of teams are really intrigued by the potential of Josh Green. So, could you see a potential Josh Green for Goran Dragic deal happening in the near future? If this podcast hits Dallas Twitter, I didn't do it. That's how I'm going to start that off. Because from my understanding of the Dallas Mavericks community, um, they're extremely high on Josh Green. His overall build, his athleticism, he fits a lot of what a potential 3 and D wing could be in the league. His makeup, I mean, 6'5", 200 pounds, uh, plus wingspan. A guy who is bouncy. Um, So... I think the idea of including a guy like that in a trade uh, is definitely going to set the franchise in a, a, a blaze, according to, uh, according to fans, if you let them get their input in it. Um, I just think the other thing is when you talk about getting Goran, like they made it clear half the reason why it didn't happen before he landed in Toronto was because of the fact that his contract sucks, guys. It sucks. It's like 19.4 mil for the year. Like he's an expiring, which is always like, beneficial right but when you look at what dallas has like in terms of their overall lineup they would basically have to address some of the guys that they just got in order to even make an acquisition like that guys like reggie bullock guys like frank nilakina i mean maxi and dwight powell are two guys that would have to get looked at and it's like i wouldn't move off of my front court depth to add a guard when this team doesn't really like I mean, yes, they need another shot creator, another ball handler, but behind a guy like Kristaps specifically, you're going to want to have some forward depth. And I don't think giving away Maxi or Dwight Powell is a smart move on that, especially with the fact that Willie Cauley-Stein has been in and out of lineup. So, like, my thing with Goron is, like, that contract blows, and I don't know who's going to take it, like, at all. And the, the Toronto... And TV, you might, like, have a little bit more intel on this than me. But, like, there's no way Toronto is going to buy him out, right? No. That, that's what – okay, it, so – If they're going to buy him out, they would have done it before this – they would have, like, done it before the season. They would have exactly. done it by now. 
besides waiting for the trade deadline, when a desperate team comes in, maybe they're looking for the final piece to what they need. And Duran Dragic feels like that. But yeah, there's no way they're buying him out. Just, That's my thing. So it's like, I think Utah is interesting, but it's like, I don't like, I, I don't even know if Utah needs anything at this point. I just think that they just need to step up when the lights are bright in terms of the playoffs. I think they have the kind of personnel for, if anything, they need better perimeter defense, not more ball handlers. They're, they're cool on the fair, ball handler fair. tip. But I think in terms of like perimeter defense, you, you rely on Rudy Gobert so much. People don't even pay attention to the fact that a lot of their guys on the outside don't defend except for like Royce O'Neal, who like has to defend if you're going to average like nine points a game and be out on the floor for like 25 plus minutes. You know what I mean? You have to defend. So, I mean, even that one's tricky. And if you look across the board, you talk about a lot of teams that are not going to have money this off season. I don't know if giving away, you know, young pieces for a rental, despite the fact that, yes, there is the benefits of having an expiring contract. I just don't see anybody that's going to want to trade for him. If he doesn't get bought out, I don't see him moving, which is going to make his life a living hell. But, I mean, you know, if he can stick it out the year, he can pick where he wants to go after, I guess. I think realistically, um, you know, if Toronto makes the playoffs, I think that he could probably play a huge part in in providing some, you know, bench depth. Because, I mean, we talk about how impactful, you know, going deep into your roster, going deep into the rotation is, especially in the playoffs. Maybe having a guy like Goran Dragic could be beneficial to a young team like Toronto if they end up making the play-in tournament, if they end up making the playoffs outright. I think that could be interesting. I know Jalen mentioned Willie Cauley-Stein as a player that's been kind of in and out of the lineup for the Mavericks. Maybe he's a potential uh, player that gets thrown in thrown in a uh Gordon Dragic deal. I know I hate to have to do this, but I think Josh Green is going to be the turning point on whether or not Gordon Dragic ends up a Dallas Maverick at some point in the season. Because with the potential that Josh Green has showed in in this season alone, they have a they have something to work with if you're Dallas. But you know, if you're a young team like Toronto, that's the thing you point to when you want to, you know, continue kind of this continue this rebuild slash playoff run that they're they're going on. I mean, I know they're 11 and 13 right now, but this is a team that I believe can possibly be the underdog if they make the playoffs. And especially with the talent that they have, I mean, they have a couple of players from the 2019 team that are left over, a lot of newcomers that are making an impact as well, like Gary Trent Jr., Delano Banton, just to name a few. Interesting scenario right now, if Goran Dragic were to be traded, um, it not only if he stays in Toronto, but um, if he goes to the Dallas Mavericks. But let's talk about Toronto and where they are right now in the Eastern Conference, because like we mentioned, they're 12th in the Eastern Conference. But TV, taking your roster into account right now and the state of the Eastern Conference, which has gotten significantly better in the past two years, where do you believe Toronto ranks despite their record in the Eastern Conference? I think that the Toronto Raptors are a borderline top 10 team. I think they are in the East right now. I'm not, I mean, if you, like you said, the all of the East just got significantly better. I think the Raptors, I mean, even the Raptors, I think like are probably better than they are last season, just because of the amount of injuries and stuff like that playing in Tampa, whatever. But even just going like down the, like this, like the East standings, they're not obviously not better than the top guys, you know, the Brooklyn, Chicago's, the Milwaukee, Miami. 
Washington's interesting. We're going to see how far, how far they slip down in the standings. I know they started off strong, but they've kind of been falling back to earth a bit recently. The 76ers can be better. The Hawks can be better. The Celtics can be better. The Knicks, I'm, I'm not sure how to feel about them this season. I'm like not like fully convinced on them. But I think the Hornets are still better. I think we're around, you know, at our best, Cleveland Cavalier range. I think the Cleveland Cavs are like, you know, around like we're, we're around that same level, both borderline top 10 teams. And I think as a team, as long as like we get healthy, we are going to be in the mix um, for a play-in spot. A playoff spot would obviously be great, but just making it to the play-in spot with this young team, getting them to the experience that they need is something that's very, very, I think something that Nick Nurse would want. I think that's like what the management would like to see. But at the same time, this is a rebuilding year. We have a lot of leeway of like what we could do as a franchise. And I think like just being outside the top 10, I think it's a good season, but making it to the playing tournament obviously is the goal. So now that we just looked at the Eastern Conference perspective, what about the entire NBA? How do you feel that they rank in terms of the NBA? Oh, gosh. A top 20 team? I know that sounds that sounds really, especially in a 30-team league, a top 20 team. I mean, half, I, mean, I mentioned like already like eight teams in the East that are better than the Raptors. When we look at the West, obviously Golden State, no way. Um, Phoenix, Utah, Memphis, even though like crazy, I know that Memphis is a crazy story in and of itself. The Clippers, the Lakers, these teams are all more experienced. They're a better team than the Raptors. I don't think they are like on in the in the upper half of the league. Maybe they're gonna be. Maybe they're knocking on it, just like knocking on the top ten in the East. But there's a lot of there's a lot to work like a lot of things that need work on the Toronto Raptors team, defensively, offensively. There's just it's just more about trying to find an identity more than anything. And the fact that we're still being competitive in kind of a rebuilding slash retooling year kind of just shows like the mentality of this team and stuff like that. I think it's like a it's a good sign going forward. So, Jalen, how do you feel after hearing what TV had to say about the Raptors and where they rank it, not only in the East, but in the NBA? So I think both things, I think both perspectives was like as realistic as you could get. I mean, in terms of their setup, I think, OK, let's start with the East, right? Because the East is the, the, the tricky one is just the fact that the league is so much better now that the East is competitive across the board. Right. Even um, even last year, we kind of had it as it was. Brooklyn, Milwaukee, and I think like probably Philly were like the three teams that everybody felt like really confident that like they're going to be the team that comes out. And even this year, we came into the season with the big three for Brooklyn. You know, the idea of coming back with a vengeance off of the semifinals matchup versus Milwaukee, they come back as a big three healthy. Oh, it's GG's for the whole league. Well, they haven't had Kyrie and it doesn't look like New York is going to be changing their, their vaccine policy anytime soon. If anything, it's actually become stricter over the last 24 to 48 hours. So that is going to have a very big effect, not only on this team's uh, title chances, but also just what this team is going to look like, you know, for the rest of the regular season alone, right? In terms of how they go about things like the trade deadline, for example, and things of that nature. So you look at teams like that and you, you put yourself in a perspective where it's like, Brooklyn's not as OD as they looked before. My uh, Miami is solid, but we all came into the season knowing their bench depth is, is, is trash or it's trash, not great, trash. you know. Uh, Milwaukee's been injured from day one. Brooke Lopez basically got shot after game one and hasn't came back. You know, he's been down due to back surgery since the first game of the season against those Nets. Chicago and Washington have been really solid this year, but, you know, Chicago's suffering – a lot of uh, COVID-related stuff right now. We actually have like four players down due to COVID. 
uh, Washington is slid. Like, if you look at the landscape of the league, Toronto is too good specifically on defense not to be in the mix. I think I think TV made a great point in terms of them being a team in the mix for at least the playing spot. My main thing about them um, in terms of this season has to do with the overall aspect of like what you, your question was about, like how they feel, how you feel about them as a team amongst the league. Them being top 20 is an interesting thing when you talk about the idea of a rebuild because how high within that that top 20 would you want them to be when you know that the goal is to get another top pick right you quote unquote lucked in the Scotty by deciding to kind of call it a quits towards the back end of last year to kind of improve the the, the tank odds so to speak right and TV we've been talking about it all podcast long about the main thing that this team needs as a center. Well, Ryan, we're very familiar with the college basketball, uh, college basketball as a, as a as a product so far this season. Hollow Benchero, uh, Chet Gahongrum, um, you know Jalen Duran. You go across the list of a lot of the top guys in the draft right now. They're at the center position. So the question is, when you're when you're playing the playing the the long game for this team, right? Is on paper. You're actually like low key, uh, at least I would say, I would say you're nine in terms of a play in setting. I would say like you're you're like nine. Realistically, that's how I believe because I think amongst some of these squads, I think Cleveland is not as good as they've been. I just think Evan Mobley has been like otherworldly, <laughs> and that's really helped yeah. them um, in the games that he's played. I also think that Boston is still trying to figure themselves out. So those are the two teams that I'm. I, I actually feel like. Toronto, if there's one thing I know they know they, they are confident in is defensively. They 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 that's their identity. I don't know what Boston's identity is right now, especially with Jalen Brown out. So I think that Toronto is like around nine in the East. But do you want to be nine? Like TV, that's that's the question I'll give you. Like, do you what do you want to be nine? Make the playing tournament, maybe maybe fall out in like the the first round, get a second try, maybe fall out again and end up somewhere between like. Uh, like you know, eleven in the East. Like, is that high enough for your standings to say that? Like, okay, we showed some, uh, we showed some fight, but at least we still got this high pick. Like, what's your what's your standards on this one? I just don't want to fall into a scenario where we want to trust the process. You know, a little <laughs> shout to them Philly fans. Just like, like we don't want to fall into that. You know, we want to be competitive. We want to. That's the thing. Like, yes, getting a good draft pick and all is 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 good and all. But look at the teams that have been constantly tagging for years. Mm -hmm. The Timberwolves have gone nowhere. The Kings. Let's not even talk about the Kings. That team's a fucking mess. But (laughs) but you know, like it's you want to be competitive. You just want to be competitive for the fans, for the for the players as well. We talk about Raptor culture. We want to be. You know, we want to be a place where. No matter what, no matter what the scenario is, mm-hmm. we're going to be fighting. And sometimes, like last year, I know we would be completely tanked at the end of the year or whatever. That was mostly because, you know, there's no fa- there was no fans to play for. Mm. Tampa, Tampa, like we got booed in our home in, in Tampa. But, <laughs> but it's like, it's it, that's different. We like, we're here for the fans. They want to at least try to win. Mm-hmm. I don't think like that's the mindset of Masai Ujiri. Ever since he's gone here, he's trying to make, he's been trying to make moves to make this team better he wants to stay competitive 
I don't, especially with Masai Ujiri at the helm, with Nick Nurse running as a head coach, I don't see the Raptors willingly want to tank at any point. I think that they're happy with their core. They want to see what they got, and they're going to try to make pieces and like they want to like try to acquire pieces, move pieces accordingly. But they want it to get better, not to get worse. I feel. I feel. I th- I think that's the big because that's the big question. Like I said, yeah. especially in a draft class where the center position is definitely taken over the top five. I mean, Jabari Smith too for Auburn. Like, there's a handful of guys at the top of the draft boards that are all at center. And it's like, well, what team needs a center more than anybody right now? Well, outside of Charlotte, who I think we all can agree definitely needs to upgrade the center position. Obviously, Toronto is like the next one on that list. So it's just, I think that's going to be a tricky play all season. And I think the development of Scotty Barnes throughout this year, the start has been hot. The start has been hot. But I think post-All-Star break, when we got to make that final stretch, that's going to tell us more about what Toronto's perspective going into the offseason is going to be is it do you want to go into the offseason as a postseason player or do you want to go into this offseason as a team that's kind of setting their board up early with the perspective of focusing more on 2022 post all-star break i think is more important than anything right now for toronto specifically i 100 agree with that so let's close this podcast out with some interesting questions um with this season so far with the toronto raptors so Let's start with the most underrated player on the Toronto Raptors so far this season. So, TV, I'll start with you because there's definitely a lot of interesting candidates for this one. Who do you believe is the most underrated player on the Toronto Raptors? Can I say everyone? Because freaking no, American media doesn't want to talk about us at all. But, but if I had to pick one, if I had to pick one, it's a toss-up. It's really a toss-up for me. I'm going to say I'm going to say Fred Van Vliet. I'm going to yeah. say Fred Van Vliet. I just think that when we talk about like top 10 point guards, top 10 shooting guards, wherever you want to place him, he doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, like I've seen people like talk about saying like, like him versus D'Angelo Russell, him versus like some other people. I'm like, Fred's better than that. I just think like, I don't, I think like people like want to like look at Fred and think like, oh, he's very unassuming. He's not like, you know, killing people every night. He's low key making an all-star case this year. And I think people are not talking about it enough. Um, I think he's like borderline top 10 point guards at the moment. He is like that good of a player. He's his, his ability to score late in games, to set up others, to be a leader for that team is, is honestly like criminally underrated for like compared to the rest of the league. Van Vliet's a great player. I mean, the other person I was thinking of is Gary Trent, mostly because um, if you see his improvement on the defensive end, it's kind of crazy because like one of the things like when we signed a contract is that, is Gary Trent going to improve on the defensive end? But somehow he's like almost leading the league in steals right now. Like he's like all over the passing lanes. And that's someone who's very underrated as well. But if I had to choose between the two, I'm definitely going Fred Van Vliet. This guy, I, if, if the, La- the Raptors are good enough, if the Raptors are good enough, he, he should get a spot in the All-Star game. And I think the interesting thing with uh, Van Vliet is, you know, the fact that it kind of goes back to uh, not drafting Jalen Suggs. Fred Van Vliet has assumed that point guard role and he's embraced it. And he's making an all-star case out of him, uh, out of his play this year. Um, I mean, he's been great from the three-point line this year. He's always been kind of a great shooter in general. But I think this season particularly has really shown why he's one of the more underrated players in the league. And then also Gary Trent Jr. Um, first, personally, I think Toronto won the trade between um, – uh, Toronto and Portland in terms of Norman Powell for Gary Trent Jr. I think looking at the future, Gary Trent is a player that's going to be in conversations for being the most underrated player in the league as well. Um, 
given given how great he's been on the defensive side as well, but he's also a, a great shooter, much like Fred Van Vliet. Um, but those are two interesting underrated players as well. Jalen, who is an underrated player on the Toronto Raptors, not named Fred Van Vliet or Gary Trent Jr.? So, TV, I'm going to go with the hater pick on this one, and this is because I'm a Bulls fan. I'm really sick that y'all got Kim Birch, and I know that's not that deep, like, from, like, no, a no, 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 he's under, no, I completely agree with you. This guy is, like, he's important to this team. He is Seriously. To a, st- to a standard NBA fan, Kim Birch might sound like just a guy, but especially for the Chicago Bulls, like, right now, it's, we, we had a couple of games without Nikola Vucevic due to health and safety protocols, and leaning on guys like Tony Bradley to kind of take over the center position has been kind of, um, it hasn't been bad, but it's been a lot. Uh, it, it's been a, it's a, definitely a culture change in terms of the center spot uh, for the bulls. When you go from a guy like Nicola, who's been pretty solid on both ends of the floor, maybe not as impactful offensively as he was in Orlando, but he's picked up on the defensive end, which has helped. And, We've relied a lot on guys like like Derek Jones Jr., for example, and like Alizé Johnson to play like small ball center minutes. And I love those guys. And from from the athlete standpoint, they are definitely guys that fit next to uh, guys like Lonzo Ball and Zach Levine in terms of getting up and down the floor. But Kim Birch is a guy, obviously, you're not going to throw it into him and let him work. But offensive rebounding wise, for a team that shoots the three so well, especially between Zach and Lonzo specifically, to have a guy like that to create more, you know, offensive possessions for a team that already gets up and down the floor like the Bulls do, Kim Birch, man, seeing seeing that he signed with Toronto, that that really hurt my heart. I'm not gonna lie, that was a guy I was kind of hype about when he was like one of the last dudes to get signed. I'm like, I think the Bulls might be in a snag of then Toronto snuck in. I I want to I want to say this about Kim Birch, and this could be this is definitely gonna be a, a like me talking about how great Kim Birch is and me kind of trashing pressure to chew a little bit but i'm gonna be like kem birch is such like a solid like reliable piece of the center position like people don't like if you watch the games this guy has a like his floater like feels like it goes in like 90 percent of the time he has that, like that like five foot floater that always seems to go in and that's like that type of like shot is so valuable to this team especially when pressure chua is trying to dribble like he's freaking steph curry at times and he's like and if you see the stats, I mean, I think he's shooting under 34% from the field. I mean, he, at times, he's looked absolutely horrible. And this is why the Raptors are missing Ken Birch a lot, because he's missed the last couple of games with some, I think, knee problems or something like that. We, like, he's such, like, a reliable piece, especially when Precious kind of goes off the rails. This guy knows his role. This guy does the dirty work inside. And I could, and I know, like, I mean, I mean, you spoke as a Bulls fan. You would, like, that guy would be perfect as a backup center. And I really hope he comes back. I mean, Precious has looked good the last couple of games, but it definitely misses to have that like most reliable piece in Ken Birch. He's definitely underrated in this league. I'm gonna go with Precious Achua. I really? think that I think the big thing it's kind of a toss-up between him and Delano Bannon, but I think it's more about what I want to see from them in the future that will make them underrated. Achua leaves leads the team in rebounds right now with 8.2. We mentioned he was one of the top re- offensive rebounds on or offensive rebounders on this team. I think if he can just stick to being the small ball five and just being a top rebounder for this team. I think he's going to continue to create chances for other, for other players on this team to make plays. If he can just tip the ball out to guys like Van Vliet or OG or uh, Gary Trent Jr. I think that's really what's going to make him so impactful for this team. And I think with Delano Bannon, 
I mean, I know the number is not really standing out right now. He's only averaging about four points a game, and he doesn't take a lot of shots per game either. Um, but he's been shooting the ball pretty well in the shots that he's been taking, 47.7% from the field shooting this year. I think it's more about what he's going to do in the future. I think this is a guy that can really be a reliable scorer, given what he did in Nebraska last year. So I think he's a player that can make a, a pretty interesting impact for the Toronto Raptors this season, even in the future, because I think he could be a reliable scorer. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Delano Bennett because this guy has been an absolute fan favorite here in Toronto. He's he's from the area. That's, that's the thing about Delano Benton. He is like literally like a 20-minute drive from where I live in Rexdale, Ontario. This guy is like, he provides so much energy off the bench. Like he plays well on the defensive end. He can handle the ball. He's a solid passer, good at the free throw line. He's actually been improving his three ball, which has been pretty good. And I think that this guy's going to be kind of like the next iteration of like Fred Van Vliet in the sense where this guy is going to have to go back and forth from the G League. He's going to learn a lot from these guys and he's going to like provide like massive minutes for the Raptors coming off the bench, especially if they want to be competing like in like back to where they were a couple of years ago. He's going to be extremely key for them off the bench. Again, Precious, on the other hand, I, I, I could definitely see the future, you know, looking into that, like him as like the idea of Precious Chua seems absolutely fantastic. I want to see more defense, less dribbling. That's that's great, <laughs> Precious. But I think, um, yeah, just the idea of him, I think, and the ability just to switch on a perimeter, I think he could he could be like something really good for the Raptors too. But I, I don't want to like I don't want to say like stay in your lane because maybe he can improve on his dribbling. Maybe he will show it to us in the future. But in terms of right now, just I would like I would like to see like less turnovers and less you know at least try to shoot over forty percent from the field. I think that's like the first goal for Precious. I think he'll figure it out, though. I, I have a feeling he'll figure yeah. it out because, I mean, this this is definitely a new start for him. He was going from, from a Miami team where he really wasn't being utilized as much to a Toronto team where now he leads the team in rebounds. He's one of the best offensive rebounders right now on the team. Um, so there's definitely, like, some chance that he'll – there's definitely a chance he will improve on that. Um, definitely, I think he, he, he'll be one of the top defenders, I think, not only on your team but in the league is what I'm, I'm thinking could be the ceiling for Precious Achua. But um, we'll, we'll kind of see what happens with that. But the next question I have is the most improved player on the Toronto Raptors going from last season to this season. TV, I'll start with you. Who is the most improved player on the Toronto Raptors from last year to this year? Well, it's hard. It's, it's going to be tough because a lot of changes from the Raptors. But I think the easy answer here, I'm not going to really overthink this. Oh, Ananobi. OG Ananobi, in the, in the time that he's been on the floor, has more importantly, I mean, we knew he was like an elite defender. That's why the Raptors signed him to that long contract. We saw that like he, he's one of the better defend, defenders in the league. But the fact that his offensive game has come around, he's like before, like kind of like Precious in like right now, OG couldn't dribble. OG before could not dribble. He worked on his game. He has a tight handle now. He can attack the rim. You go to him at the end of games. And the fact that right now he's averaging like he's like our only 20 point per game scorer in the time he's been playing. He's hit some clutch threes, able to attack the rim. I just think that him like having a more offensive like capabilities just opens up this for like opens up the floor for Fred Van Vliet, for Pascal Siakam, even for Scotty Barnes. The fact that OG could be a go to reliable scorer late in games. I think the way as long as he comes back healthy, and I hope he like he comes back pretty soon because. Apparently that hip flexor is going to be out, taking him out for a while, but the fact I just like seeing him more comfortable in his game. He's a lot more loose, 
and he knows that he like has a role here on the team where he has to be kind of that now as like a secondary ball handler at times and he's embracing it which is great to see and i can't wait to see him back on the floor i mean the fact honestly his three-point shot has like come away a long way too so which i've been which a lot of fans have been really happy about here jalen do you have a player not named uh og ananobi that could be the most improved player from the raptors going into um, or going from last year to this year. And it's interesting because of the roster turnover. So do you have somebody else? Um, I think the roster turnover part is the one that makes it tricky, but I'll kind of cheat here and say Scotty is definitely not everything he showed at Florida State. And I think you should have expected that because, again, this is one of those things where Toronto and Bulls fans can kind of relate on players is when you took a swing, when you when you take a swing on a guy from Florida State, you have to understand that you're doing it due to potential more times than not anyway, especially when you're grabbing a freshman from Florida State, because typically over there, they coach as a they, they coach as a pack mentality. A lot of guys have to earn their minutes and they go deep into their bench. They go deep into their roster. So a lot of guys get even split playing time and there's no real uh, go to guy, uh, so to speak. And not everybody gets to get in their bag. Everybody is focused on their assignments. So I think the biggest thing is that Scotty Barnes, a lot of the things that people were talking about coming into the draft, um, him not being an aggressive scorer, him not being uh, big on the three-point shooting, the idea that, you know, uh, he was a big uh, facilitator and everybody tried to put him into that, like, Draymond Green-esque role, which I do think he does still fit. But I think that he has a game that's just a lot bigger than what was projected for him. And um, there were some people arguing that he could have been, like, a six six seven six eight point guard for some for some people which is why uh, like there were certain draft evaluators that actually thought scotty barnes would fit better than um jalen suggs out of the fact that hey you can still put him at like point guard next to next to a guy like fred van vliet at the two and he could still do all the same facilitating stuff while having all that range and you know length and so on and so forth so i i mean especially with the turnover yeah scotty scotty being way better than what his his quote quote unquote write up led him to be described as coming out of that draft, I think is, is really good. I'm interested. You guys haven't mentioned Fred Van Vliet and it's not really the fact that he, it's not really the the points per game that he's improved but because that's kind of stayed the same, but it's the fact that he shot the ball, that he's shooting the ball better from the field and better from three compared to last year. So looking at last year, he was shooting 38.9% from the field and 36.6% from three. This year, he's shooting 44.2% from the field and 39% from three. So that's definitely up from last year. But And he's definitely improved in those categories. But I think that's an interesting thing to take note of because two years ago, he was shooting over 40% from the field and over 30, and, uh, 39% from three in the 2019-2020 uh, season. So it's interesting to note. Oh, uh, you yeah, know, that, that's a really interesting point. And I really didn't really think about that with Fred Van Vliet. And I think mostly because if you've been watching him, I mean, the funny thing about Fred Van Vliet, it's like, it's a funny story is that um, back in, I think, 2016, 2015, whenever like he got brought in for the Raptors, he wasn't on the team. And I remember watching a preseason game in Scotiabank Arena. It was the Raptors versus some Argentinian team. Like from, it was super weird. I remember I was like, I, I went a couple of my boys. And I watched Fred Van Vliet. Like, he was on, like, he was starting for that team. Like, none of the actual Raptors players were starting, but he was there. And the Raptors beat this Argentinian team with Fred Van Vliet leading the way with 36 points. 
So ever since then, I'm like, yo, this guy needs to be a part of the team. I want to see this guy like on the Raptors. So I know that's just like a cool story. I like seeing like I I watched Van Van Vliet before he even was signed. But I think if you like as a Raptor fan, if you like watch Fred Van Vliet, this felt like the natural pro- progression of Fred Van Vliet. Like we like whatever he's doing this year is kind of just more amplified more to the fact because Kyle Lowry is not there. Obviously, the field goal percentage has been like a great increase for sure. But Fred is just being Fred and you really don't tell a difference because this is what he's been doing the last two years. We've known that we've had that he's had this in him and we knew that he was a natural born leader. I mean, we, we you could see him like coaching up the guys at the, on the sideline. He's doing this and that. I just thought it was like, I mean, like I could definitely agree that he's definitely been one of the more improved Raptors, but it's just more felt like a natural switch. I mean, you, with OG and Obi, you could tell from his game from then and now that they, the big difference of like, of like the jump, but what Fred Van Vliet just felt like a, a steady, steady progression. And you're like, okay, yeah, this is exactly what we thought Fred Van Vliet was going to be. And maybe like, uh, maybe I'm not giving him enough credit, but honestly, like, this is just like, I mean, I knew that Fred had to send him, I guess. Yeah. And he's definitely proving that, you know, he's, he's here to stay for the Toronto Raptors and he's also here to stay in the league. I mean, he's only been in the league for five years, but we kind of feel like he's been in the league for 10 with the, with the consistency that he's been uh, playing with the consistency that he's had throughout his entire career so far. So not only one of the more underrated players, but also an improved player in my eyes from last year to this year. So moving on to the next question that I have, um, and I'll start with TV. What seed do you think Toronto will finish as this season? This season? It can be a range or a specific uh, specific uh, no, 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 place I'm, in the standings. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to say that the Raptors are going to finish ninth. I think they're going to finish ninth in, in the East um, this season. And I think they are going to win their first play-in game, but they're going to fall short of their second playoff play-in game. Um, I just think that this team shows a lot of fight. As long as they're healthy, they're going to be in the mix. Maybe they might shock some teams and maybe even go a bit higher. But if I had to make a, a realistic one, I think they're going to finish ninth. I think Fred might slow down as the season goes on just because of his minutes playing stuff. But Pascal Siakam is going to get better. OG is going to be great. Um, and I just think that this team, um, coached by a championship coach, Nick Nurse, I think they're going to be like right in the mix. And I think they're going to finish above 502. That's something I, I do believe I see happening. But this team is um, – is, they're not – I'm not going to say they're as bad as the record says or as good as the record says. I think they're a solid team. There's a lot of room to grow. But I think that there's going to be a lot of, like, in-house growth, like, this season as well. So, not going to get too high. not going to say top eight, but I think they're going to finish ninth. Jalen, how do you feel about the Toronto Raptors? Because this this does kind of seem like a team that could be a, a, a play-in tournament team. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to give them, like, I'm going to give them just one below in terms of 10. But the real question for me, the two teams that are going to really dictate how far Toronto goes in terms of like the playoffs, I think is New York with all the turmoil going on with them. Kimba was just the start of things, but really there's been a lot going on like within the organization in terms of their, you know, their rotation and stuff that is really coming to question. And then Cleveland, like I mentioned it briefly that I think that Cleveland might just be playing above expectations right now, especially with the fact that Evan Mobley has just been so solid. But, like, you know, Darius Garland has been, like, sneaky, crazy good this year as well, um, which I think a lot of uh, Cavs fans expected if he got the keys, especially with Colin Sexton being out, that he would be able to kind of truly reveal his overall uh, play style as a lead guard. So I think, I think Toronto 
is definitely going to be able to get into the play-in mix. The only reason they wouldn't is if Cleveland or New York continues to kind of, or in Cleveland's case, continue to play above their weight. And in New York's case, they fix things, you know, quick, fast, and in a hurry. But I think if we're taking that out of the, the equation, I think Toronto at, at best is probably like 10. Yeah, I would I would have to agree somewhere between nine and ten. This this team definitely has the talent to make the play in tournament. I think it's just about where they will finish. And I think it was interesting with Jalen's point. Who what 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 other team should I say dictate how the Raptors finish in the Eastern Conference? Because we mentioned with New York and Cleveland, those are two interesting teams. Also with the news of the Indiana Pacers entering, it looks like a rebuild. That's also interesting to take note of. So Toronto could be a team that ends up, you know, getting into the play-in tournament or should I say, or, or possibly barely missing the play-in tournament. This is actually the point in the podcast where as we close things out, we're going to hand the floor over to our fan TV to give us some final thoughts on his Toronto Raptors so far. Um, just talk about anything basketball in general. So uh, TV, take it away. Yeah, I just want to say in terms of the Toronto Raptors, I think they 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 have been a fun team to watch. I'm go, I'm it's good to see some, some nice some young blood there. Um, Scotty has exceeded a lot, even like my expectations for him, which has been absolutely fantastic. I hope he can continue to develop in the start that he looks like he's going to be. I want Raptor fans to kind of slow down this the Siakamade. I think we have to give him some time. You don't have to jump on him right away. Fevavlit's fantastic. I think Trent we got him on an absolute bargain deal. OG is going to be great. The bench definitely needs some work. Delano Batten is going to be here for a while. I like Ken Birch around. Um, hopefully move Drogic soon. And, yeah, I'm trying to trade for a center. I don't know who that's going to be yet. Or maybe, like, like you guys said, you mentioned a bunch of centers um, coming into the draft. Maybe the Raptors were able to pick up one of them. Um, and, yeah, I'm excited to actually watch them tonight. I'm going to the game tonight versus um, them versus OKC. Trying to see my boy SGA and Lou Dort, Canadian boys over there. Um, very exciting team to watch. And I hope Scotty scores 30 on them. So we want to thank our guest today, TV, for coming on and taking some time out of his day to speak with us about the Toronto Raptors this season. This was definitely an interesting conversation and definitely interesting to, to talk about the Toronto Raptors even more because this is a team that really has not been getting a lot of attention this year, but they have a lot of players on their team that can make them a really sneaky playing team. Yeah, we're used to it. <laughs> So, so transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, where do you believe Toronto finishes this season in the Eastern Conference? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We will see you guys next episode. Peace. Peace.